Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we've personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we are your telecommunicators for the Terminated this week. The holidays are among us. It's time for festivities and fun, small, safe get-togethers and charcuterie boards, eggnog and spiced wine. It's time to kick back and relax on those snowy nights in, warming up in front of the fireplace, watching Netflix holiday specials. At the end of this year, we all deserve a nice quiet break. But wait. That means death has to stop too, right? I mean, surely death professionals don't work on the holidays, do they? Yes, in fact we do. As you can imagine, death never takes a break. It doesn't matter if your mom scheduled a ham dinner at exactly 4pm <laughs> and Mr. Jenkins has decided to kick the bucket at 3.58pm. Death is constant, death is relentless, and death doesn't take a holiday. So people like me in red don't get one either. For some, this lifestyle is easy to adapt to. It's part of a job that we tend to accept. You won't make it too far in the death industry if you refuse to get out of bed for a death call at 2am. But what is it really like living life with your cell phone in your hand, expecting a death call at any moment? How do we cope? Because honestly, no one can predict death, not even us so close to the trends of mortality. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can be on call in the death industry. So I wanted to kind of start with the thing that I'm currently doing the most of, seeing the most of, which is being on call when you're in the front of the house. So smaller funeral homes, it's more likely that one person, two people are going to have to share all of the calls. And what does that really mean? Like what kind of calls are people taking when they're on call? So Five o'clock rolls around, the front door shutters, uh, lights go off, and directors go home to their families. And from five o'clock until the next morning at eight, seven, whatever have you, uh, those phones are now going to be that director's responsibility. So sometimes you'll get, I mean, really weird calls. Uh, A lot of times, I mean, yeah, you have the, the infamous death call coming in at two in the morning, but that's not all that people are calling about after hours. People get off of work at five and then they remember, oh, all of this other stuff that they wanted to call the funeral home about. Yeah, you're getting calls at like eight o'clock from a family asking, hey, uh, where are those death certificates? Do you guys have the death certificates in yet? <laughs> <laughs> and that is a very common call. And I think that most people... Because we're a funeral home and, you know, if you're working at a funeral home, I think most people have the idea that, yes, the funeral home is open like 24-7 and someone is always there, which is true. It is true. Quote, air quotes t- around true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things that can't really be dealt with after the 5 p.m. mark, which is surprising when you think about death. Like uh, death certificates have to be taken care of at the county clerk office a lot of the times. County offices are closed, like super closed after like 4 p.m., honestly. Yeah. So certain things we can't really handle after hours. But people do die after 5 p.m., believe it or not. A lot of people do. 
um, and families that have questions that need to be answered. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we're definitely able to assist with after five o'clock. So back to who exactly is taking these calls. So like these in the old timey days, uh, the families, you know, used to live at the funeral homes um, that was their their business and their place of living. Uh, and they had like landlines and stuff. So basically, you would have a phone next to your bed on landline that would just ring and you would have to like handle that like you would have to live at the funeral home and handle that. Um, but obviously nowadays we have cellular devices. It's a lot different. So small firms, you still probably have um, either that few ro- people rotation handling calls um, to cell phones. Uh, but once you get to like larger funeral homes, uh, you obviously have a lot more directors to spread calls out to. So instead of having like two people rotating, you might have like eight funeral directors rotating. So really like you're only on call maybe four times a month, which really isn't that bad at all when you consider like a month is 30 days. So only four of those days do you have to be responsible. I do feel like a lot of funeral homes these days are still those small family funeral home situations where they only have two or three or maybe even four full-time directors. So the work has to be spread out evenly amongst, you know, two or three people. And that's a lot. That's a lot of extra work after hours. Yeah, absolutely it is. And some funeral homes have kind of come, uh, depending on the budget, have come into like what is called like a phone attendant. This is handled many different ways. Uh, You could have like a third party company handling your phones from five and so on. Or you could even have like a night attendant like that's on staff that they just work the evenings uh, and take phones. That's something that actually a lot of people don't know when you uh, call in after hours, you might not be talking directly to funeral home staff, you could be talking to like a basically telecommunication company that takes calls for you. And of course, like they field like little calls like, okay, you want to talk to so and so a director, they need to fix the online obituary, they'll, you know, get to you tomorrow, that kind of thing. But if a death call comes through even to like a third party company like that, they will then call the director that's on call to help uh, and then like call families back. So always something interesting. You can kind of tell when you're talking to somebody that's not quite on staff because they're asking you a lot of questions that aren't related to what you just asked. So like, mm-hmm. oh, your name, your phone number, this and that. Like it, it's easy to suss them out. Yeah, I, I think it's funny as someone who works in the death industry and calls funeral directors all the time, I can definitely tell when I'm speaking to a phone attendant because they'll answer the phone like, hello, this is so-and-so funeral home. How can <laughs> right. we help you today? And I'm like, can I please talk to a funeral director? Like, <laughs> right. I know it's not you (laughs) right i've actually gotten asked that myself when i like i've called places and they're like wait a minute is this like the the phone Phone company i'm like no (laughs) i'm like the real deal man So yeah, what else do we usually get calls about after hours? Um, It really, it ranges all over the place. Like I have gotten asked like the craziest things at any hour of the night. Like I I really do get a lot of questions in regards to the obituary and changing the obituary like all the time. Um, Flower companies, I get a lot of flower companies calling after hours, which I thought was really odd. Like Mm. (laughs) when is so-and-so having a a service? Like, bro, (laughs) why are you calling at 8 o'clock? (laughs) Right. Right. So in the medical examiner side of things, you know, we're also on call. Um, We are 24-7 operations, so we are open 24-7. We do have lighter staffing on the night shifts usually just because, you know, there's not the hospital operations. If you're located in the hospital, there's not the daily operations of like, you know, an autopsy or identification or working with the police or anything like this. So 
Um, usually when you're on call, you're actually at the medical examiner's office. I think maybe in smaller counties and smaller areas like rural areas, the medical investigator will be on call at home. And on the weekends, we were allowed to be on call at home if we were covering for someone. Um, so I actually worked from home a lot of the time. I would be laying in bed. My cell phone would get called. It would be a police officer. And he would be like, hey, uh, we have a guy that uh, flipped his car and he's dead and you have to come look at this. And I'd be like, <laughs> okay, let's go. And it's, you know, it's mostly that. So I think the biggest thing about getting calls as a medical examiner is you have like the least amount of information that like is necessary. So you really have no idea what you're walking into. And I think this goes for every death. It could be like a 99-year-old man who died at home, like in his bed, but the police will call and be like, yeah, this guy's dead in his house. You should get here. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh God, what am I walking into right now? Um, or, you know, it could be this, you know, really brutal, tragic car crash where there's like skull bits across the entire highway and you're going to have to spend three hours picking them up. And the police just call you and they say, oh, this guy was hit by a car. See you soon. And okay. I, <laughs> I think that is the hardest part about being on call as an Emmy. Yeah, I mean, I could I could go on for days about crazy calls. I've gotten calls about, you know, a human bone stuck in a tree that someone a found. A human bone in the tree. Like, yep. like in that, like, where trees have those... What are those called? Like knots or holes or whatever, just like jammed in the side of a tree no, or like well, where? What actually happened is that the tree grew around the bone and like, what? Um, so the tree was like growing around the bone. It turns out that it was actually just a deer bone that someone had stuck up in the tree and the tree grew around it. But the new owners of the property thought that it was a human <laughs> arm bone. <laughs> so they called the police. <laughs> oh my God. And then, you know, I have to come out there and we have to determine if it is human, if it's non-human, stuff like that. So really just anything under the sun are the kind of death calls that we get over at the Emmy office for sure. At the funeral home, you guys definitely deal more with, you know, hospice deaths, hospital deaths, expected deaths. And then when the Emmy um, takes these crazier deaths, that's when we call the funeral home and, and tell them to come pick up the body. The body's ready. Right, exactly. Yeah, like a lot, of, I mean, that's why I, I don't, don't have too many actual crazy like stories. It's mostly just like weird stuff, but not like mm -hmm. crazy stuff that I get calls about. Like I remember I actually uh, gave pricing to a lady, like it was like 10 o'clock at night that she called and wanted pricing, which is very uh, not normal. And mm -hmm. she wanted pricing for herself because she was actively dying. And like, oh. At a, oh my nursing God. Yeah. Oh, at a nursing home. Yeah. Yeah. I was imagining like a lady like bleeding out on her kitchen no. floor. <laughs> I would hope not. But this poor thing, oh like she's I, th somehow they just like she woke up and wanted to know pricing, got her little flip phone out and just talked to me for like an hour. <laughs> Hey, well, that's good, though. They always recommend pre-planning, but that's, a, right. that's an interesting way to go about it, to be honest. <laughs> but there are uh, some other aspects of being on call, uh, not just, you know, being available via phone. There are other responsibilities attached to the quote-unquote on-call title. So I know I worked for three funeral homes and every single one has a different way of doing it. Um, but I know a lot of them actually have directors being responsible. If the alarm goes off after hours, regardless of time, you have to like show up to the funeral home. And mm. I like <laughs> there was always like a big argument at my last funeral home about this. I'm just like, so what? Someone breaks in. 
you want me to show up with a baseball bat and do <laughs> do what? Like <laughs> That's so funny. Although, to be fair, I've worked for a transfer company for a very long time. The amount of uh, third-party transfer staff that set off funeral home alarms oh my God, is all the time. just a lot. And it's unfortunate, but it's a lot. Right. So let me get my, my PJs and my, my brass knuckles out and come to the funeral home at <laughs> 2 in the morning. Um, I also know that uh, I've had to, I'd currently do this, uh, depending on how the schedule lies, if you're the director on call and a family and ends up having like an evening service, not just like evening visitation, but like a funeral uh, in the evening. And if that director that made the arrangements for that um, is off, then usually director on call, it like defaults to the director on call. So you have to mm. stay late for services. Right. But a lot of the times when we're on call, we're not just patiently waiting at home with our cell phone in our hands, like ready to take whatever call may come our way. You know, we do have a life outside of the death industry and we do have things to do. I've had to take calls in a grocery store or out you know, at dinner with my friends or sometimes even at the gym. Right, exactly. I have absolutely been that person that's huffing and puffing when I answer the phone, like halfway (laughs) through a mile. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I can remember vividly, I was in the grocery store one time, and this was after I had stopped working at my transfer service. Mm -hmm. So I used to work for a body removal company. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but basically we would do transfers for funeral homes in their off hours. And my boss was the one who would facilitate the calls and then he would hand out the calls to the staff. So I had a certain phone ringtone for him because <laughs> it was the only ringtone that would like wake me up in the middle of the night. Yeah. So I was in the grocery store. This was after I quit that job and got a new job. I heard the ringtone from someone else's phone and oh I like God. immediately grabbed my phone to like <laughs> check and see if there is a call. I had like a uh, ringtone PTSD from working at the body removal service no, in the grocery that is store. So valid though. I was <laughs> I didn't know anyone else that had that happen because it's like it's the same thing as like never set your alarm to wake up to in the morning to something like a song you like because you're gonna start hating that song. Like right. as as the weeaboo that I was, like I put like the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure ringtone as my like death call ringtone. <laughs> and like literally it, it made me panic every time like it would come on like when my friends were watching it or something and i was just like oh immediately gosh, freak out. <laughs> also it's like the most loud and obnoxious opening ever so like i yeah. just i dreaded listening for that stupid ringtone i know what is it it's called like the pavlov pavlovian dog response or yeah whatever it is. <laughs> I, what is it called i'm gonna look it up because i don't want to sound stupid hold on the pavlov bell experiment with those dogs who ring the bell and uh, start salivating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Just getting anxiety attacks from getting death calls in the grocery store. <laughs> Which is why to this day I still don't like ever have my ringtone on unless I'm on call because if I get calls other days I might like start freaking out. I'd be like, am I on call today? And I didn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's honestly kind of funny uh, how like our like just outside of work lives can intertwine with our like work lives because I'll, I'll take calls sometimes and I'm, I'm sure this happens with people that have kids too. Like you can't always keep the things around you quiet. My cat just, she will be silent. I will get home and she will be silent. And then I take a call and all of a sudden she decides it's time to scream. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to a family, <laughs> which oh, is precious in a way. I, yeah. <laughs> So there's, there was this one time I was on call, and I think this was probably one of the, the wor- just 
not because the call itself was weird, but just because it sucked for me. Um, I remember mm. going to sleep and being fine. And then I woke, got woken up at like three in the morning and I just like remember sitting up and being like, Oh my God, I feel so sick. Like just like tummy sick. Like I had like a flu or something. So like I'm mm. running to the bathroom while on the phone with this family, like laid over the toilet, like my <laughs> oh, head no. in my hands, trying to take <laughs> notes. Like, oh, I, I, that was probably the worst first call I ever took. And I felt so bad for the family because I absolutely sounded miserable on the other oh, side no. of the line. Yeah. I, I know it's funny. Like, I think some of the people that call on the line or, you know, families that call in, especially to funeral homes, they don't, I don't think it's in their mind that we are like humans that are like living a life or like I've literally just woken up out of like a deep slumber and I'm right. like trying to be professional and trying to get all this vital, like very important vital information. I'm trying to remember what questions I'm supposed to ask. And it's like, it's a very, it's a very human thing to like, you know, be sitting in your bed, like trying to remember, okay, did I ask about the maiden name? Okay, what's their social security <laughs> number? And then the family's on the other line, like thinking that you're just awake and ready for their call <laughs> like it's it's very funny like where basically we're out of it because we just got woken up and they're out of it because they've probably been up for like two days so you have two very non-functional people like <laughs> dealing with each other about very important business <laughs> yeah but it, it always gets taken care of and that's the i think that's the nice thing i like about a death you know if you're a professional and you're nice and you take care of the family as best as you can like say, you know, I'm talking to, in my case, if I'm talking to like um, a nurse and I forget to ask the decedent's uh, uh, birthday or medications, I can just call back and be like, hey, it's 2 a.m. I forgot to ask you about this. Can you please, <laughs> can you please let me know? <laughs> I, I think people are, are very understanding of, you know, it's 3 a.m. and we're dealing with death. Like it's a very, it's a very taxing job <laughs> yeah definitely i've kind of mentioned this aspect in uh other uh episodes of ours but the unfortunate thing is that it's not just us that end up getting woken up at like three in the morning it's our significant others it's our families so obviously I i've seen some directors will actually not sleep in the bedroom with their uh significant other when oh, they're on wow. call yeah they'll, they'll yeah. just couch themselves for the night just so they don't wake up their significant other Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I was not that nice. I was like, I'm going to take this full call. I'm not even getting out of bed. Like, <laughs> I know. That's kind of funny um, you bring that up. So I actually, I don't live with my significant other, but I, I, I think that they would be very, very mad if I did wake them up uh, several times a night to answer death calls. You know, when they come stay over, when I used to uh, work at the ME office more often and I did get death calls, I would like get like so quickly like hop out of bed and like run out of the room but i think after a while it would become like old news when when they're not over and i am by myself in my bed i do definitely 100 percent take calls laying down in my bed i know that's if yeah. i don't have to turn the light on and i can just like dictate text to, like to myself to write up the first call sheet the next day i'm absolutely doing that like i am not opening oh, yeah. my eyes <laughs> yeah like emmy slash mortician confessions here right now like if i get a call at like 2 a.m. and it's a hospice call, like I don't have to go out on scene, like the nurse is just calling me to confirm everything. I'm literally laying in my bed with my phone like propped against my chest, <laughs> like texting out in my notes application, like all of the vital information. You're on call at home, so like 
professionality. Uh, I they can't see me laying down in bed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, definitely one hundred percent. I'm like literally writing up my death report like on my phone, like texting it out because I just like don't want to get out from under the blankets. It's like three a.m. in December, like twelve degrees outside. Like there's no way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm the exact same way. If I don't have to get out of bed, open my eyes, or turn on the lights, like I'm just rolling back over so I can go back to sleep. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Obviously, though, if we do have to get out of bed, we absolutely do, because death waits for no man. There is no putting off death until 6 a.m. That does not happen. Right. I'm actually very fortunate that I've never accidentally gone back to sleep on a family. So that is got a Mm -hmm. good track record for that so far. I would just be too, like, scared, just totally terrified that I would. Like, usually when I do have to get out of bed, I get out right away, put on the suit, and get out the door. You probably have it down to a science at this point. How long does it take for you to, like, suit up at (laughs) 3 in the morning? (laughs) Okay, honestly, five minutes. So if my... I and this was back in the day. So like I said before, I used to do body transfer, uh, body removal company, and that this is exclusively what I would do. So there would be the company was pretty small in my and I was a regional supervisor. So in my region, there was, I don't know, maybe three to four employees at a time. And oftentimes you need two employees at least to go on a death call, especially if it's a home call in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. So I would I would be on call you know, if not 24-7, like a good 24-5, like very, very often I was on call. So you can like imagine why I have like a ringtone PTSD for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I, yeah, so my director would text me at 3 a.m. with a call, you know, like he'd text me the address, he'd text me, he wouldn't really tell me what was going on, he'd just text me the address. (laughs) And, you know, he'd be like, you know, you have to be there at this time. And I timed it out perfectly because I knew that I could jump out of bed, throw on my suit and be in the van in five minutes. So I would like lay in bed perfectly, like just like holding on to every moment until I have to go out into like the freezing cold temperatures in the middle of the night and just jump out of bed, like literally run down, throw my suit on and just like run out the door. But yeah, I think it was it was like five or 10 minutes I could get out of the house if someone if I had a death call to go to. It's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's what that was. You know, it wasn't a, a well-paying job, unfortunately, but that was honestly one of my favorite jobs that I ever had. I just love like I've, and I've said this so many times. I love going out and being the first one on scene. I love, you know, talking to the family and taking care of the deceased in that way. So it really wasn't like I never I think what made me like want to get out of bed and do it is just because I loved it so much. I was never like begrudgingly like, oh my God, like I don't want to go. I mean, of course, like no one wants to get up and put a suit on at 3 a.m. But like, you know, it. I think because I loved my job and I loved what I did, it made it so much easier. And I think that goes with any part of the death industry. Like people that work in the death industry have to love it or else it's not happening for you. Right, exactly. It's sh- certainly not the money that's keeping us around. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that uh, definitely segues us really well into um, being in call on back of house. So doing things like transfers after hours and things like that. There's a lot. Honestly, that this is like the hard part. Like it's one thing to have to wake up at three take a call and go back to sleep but like to have to get out of bed and leave your house for two hours and then try to get like another hour's rest before coming back to work the next day like that's this is the hard part mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah as i say um you know i loved working for that body removal company i worked there for two years and i was 
honestly very ready to leave by the time that I left it, it you know it burns you out and there are people that work for those companies for for years like it's their retirement job and I honestly honestly don't know how they keep up with it yeah neither do I like truly that that stuff drives me crazy so mm-hmm. I mean not all not all death calls after hours are going to be like to, they're not going to necessitate a transfer so like if somebody passes at like a hospital or something like they have morgues they have a cooler on site so it's not really necessary for us to do the transfer until the next day when we have available staff but if it's like obviously somebody died in their bedroom or like at a nursing home where there's not a cooler like that's when we have to get people people mobilized to bring Mm -hmm. be brought into our care Mm -hmm. um we even have transfer staff like our after hours transfer staff like they have to take a van home basically with them one of the company vans home yeah yeah we did that too when i worked for the uh, body transfer company i had a van a, a minivan it's not like a hearse. Everyone thinks that you yeah. come in a hearse. It's not. <laughs> it's a minivan with a stretcher in the back. And I think a lot of funeral homes have a transfer van, which is like a 16-passenger van with all the seats out and the stretcher in the back. Yeah, those monsters. Those yeah. Huge. <laughs> yeah, but I drove a I drove a purple, a dark purple minivan, and that was my death mobile. <laughs> That's actually really cool. I've never seen purple as like the, the key color mm-hmm. for a funeral home. I dig it. I really dig it. Mm-hmm. Something else that uh, will come up from time to time uh, would be after hours embalming, um, which is not always necessary, but depends on the layout of the funeral home and how they do things. But uh, I have found myself many times uh, staying late or coming in late at the funeral home to embalm a body just to kind of relieve some of the tension for the next day. Uh, if we already know we're going to be really, really busy, it's best to get what you can done the day of. So um, it's honestly like really nice coming in for an after hour embalming because it's like just you the phones aren't ringing off the hook like you just Mm. get to just be by yourself listening to your music probably wearing basketball shorts (laughs) (laughs) and embalming that's funny and you know scientifically the sooner you get an embalming done the better it goes the less the body is decomposed so it, it actually is kind of more helpful to have the body embalmed within two to four hours of death if it's been a recent death. Yeah, actually, definitely. You want you want to embalm when they're warm still. <laughs> <laughs> Freshly dead, as we like to say. Right, exactly. So as someone that has done night transfers a lot, uh, one of the questions that I get a lot is that if I get like scared going to the funeral homes at nighttime, because <laughs> <laughs> when you're, you know, when you're transferring, you know, sometimes there's two people, but a lot of the times you're either by yourself when you're dropping the body off or you did like a hospice call and you're by yourself. You have to go to the funeral home at like 2, 3 a.m. Um, by yourself. And, you know, modern funeral homes, no one lives there anymore. It's just like an empty building with a bunch of dead bodies in it. Um, so people are like, do, do you get like, do you see ghosts and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually, I do have a funeral home ghost story um, regarding this. (laughs) Should I tell it now? No, I actually wanted to do an entire episode on this. (laughs) Okay, so I'll say that. Um, I'm not going to say no, because I do tend to favor the idea that spirits do exist, um, personally. And we're going to have a whole episode about it, actually, which is super fun. But um, it it is a little spooky when you're going to funeral homes by yourself at night. But after you've gone to, like literally like 50 or 60 different funeral homes they're all the same they're just old dark buildings that have a bunch of dead bodies in them and uh 
that's you just turn all the lights on and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is just something I've always wondered, like, obviously, it's it's hard to get used to, you know, opening and closing one building. Um, but you obviously have to go to a bunch of different funeral homes if you're ever part mm-hmm. of a, like after hours transfer company. So like, how do you get used to that? Like, Do you have like a master list of like how to get in and out of buildings? Right. So we actually we did we had a master binder of instructions how to get in and out of all the funeral because it's not like funeral homes are just open like no locked doors or anything so we had a binder full of codes like garage codes we had we had a like a ring of keys so if a funeral home contracted us they would give us you know a key or you know a lot of funeral homes these days have security codes so we Mm -hmm. would need to know that i'm a crazy person so by the time i was done working at the body removal company i had memorized all of the codes for all of the funeral homes in my region. Whoa. So I just had to memorize. <laughs> but that's just me being a crazy person. We did have a we had a binder in every every van, every employee van we had a we had a binder. So if you pulled up to a funeral home that you weren't familiar with, you would just look up the binder. And you know, we could always call uh, the funeral director on call if we had issues, but I I don't I don't think I really ever did unless there was like a big issue. The thing that is most impressive to me about uh, people that do like after hours calls, uh, especially when it comes to like doing a transfer or doing like an embalming, uh, these people like they still have to come to work the next day. Like this isn't just like necessarily all that they do. If you are contra- like working with the funeral home and then you also have to be on call, like my poor care center staff, some of them will make like two or three death calls in a night. And if you think mm-hmm. about it, like between waking up, driving out to the residence, bringing the deceased back and like all the paperwork that goes into it. I mean, sometimes we get death calls that are like a 45 minute drive out or there's inclement right. weather. Like you're sleeping maybe two, three hours a night and then you still have to work the next day. Those people are like real heroes. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would say the average death call took two hours. And that's only if it was like, you know, a 15, 20 minute drive from my home and I had the van with me. Um, But a lot of the times death calls can take anywhere from three to four hours, just one death call. So if you're getting two, three, four calls back to back to back, you're out there working for the whole night, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just the after hours or the weekends that we have to be concerned about being on call and making sure that families are attended to 24-7. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, we have holidays too that we have to make up for. I think that is even more hard for people to grasp that we are working every single holiday. I think especially in my experience, my mom was always kind of like, wait, you have to you have to work on Christmas Eve, like you have to work on Christmas Day. Oh yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah, mom. Like people don't stop dying. Like it's not, <laughs> people don't like take a break. It's like oh, it's Christmas, can't die today, gotta die tomorrow. Like <laughs> right. That's unfortunately that's not how it works. So I've worked for a lot of different funeral homes that have had different methods of doing this, and it's pretty standard, somewhat standard, I should say. Um, that they'll have like ahead of time, they will decide or you like work with a partner that you decide like who takes what days, but you essentially get like three of the six major holidays off and the other three that you're on call. So I've, uh, the first funeral home I worked for, I actually had to like go in person and sit in the building on Christmas, like by myself chilling. Um, like currently the funeral home I work for, I am just like on call at home 
home. So um, I have to obviously field calls and answer emails and things. But mm-hmm. if a family you know, loses a loved one and they want to come in on Christmas to make arrangements, I'm coming in on Christmas to make arrangements with them. And same thing with services. I mean, we have a lot of different religions uh, in the United States and not all of them necessarily observe Christmas. So if we have like a Hindu family that wants to have their funeral service, we're going to honor that regardless of the day of the year that it is. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And then from, you know, the medical examiner's point of view, uh, car accidents, you know, hospital deaths, unfortunately, you know, homicides and suicides happened every day of the year. So we had the same kind of model too, where we would be, we'd have to choose four holidays that we wanted to work and then the other four we could have off. And, you know, this went by seniority of employees. And I'm going to say this in our holiday special, but I actually chose to work most holidays. I actually like working most holidays. And I think it's because, you know, I don't have a family. I don't have kids. My immediate family doesn't live near me. So I'm, you know, I'm by myself in my state. I don't have, you know, family holidays that I have to observe and celebrate. So I would much rather work on the holiday, get the extra pay, and uh, (laughs) let someone else. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, uh, one of my coworkers who who does have kids, who does have a family, who does have, you know, a spouse or a partner, um, they can spend that holiday with with their family instead of having to come into work. And I don't I don't mind working on the holidays. So, like I said, an extra pay. I feel pretty similarly to that, too, because the one holiday that I care about having off isn't considered in those six holidays anyway, which is Halloween. (laughs) So I'm just like, well, (laughs) (laughs) so there's a lot of different aspects to our jobs and different pros and cons. Uh, To me, my personal humble opinion, uh, being on call is definitely a con to the job. Um, I know that you've had a lot of different experiences with the transfer company you worked for, but Mm -hmm. it's probably one of my least favorite parts of the job. (laughs) But uh, I I really am jealous of our our normie friends that work Monday through Friday, nine to five. But it's just another aspect of death care and someone's got to do it. So we always take the good and the bad. So yeah, you know, death doesn't take a rest. Death doesn't take a holiday. But we understand being in the death industry, what this means and what this entails. Some people like it more than others. Some people can handle it a little bit more than others. But it's a necessary part of the job and it can be fulfilling in certain ways. So just remember the next time you're hanging out with your mortician friend, don't be offended if they have to run out of the room and throw on a suit to go and deal with death. And if you're looking for a way to brighten your local funeral director's day, just like don't call at 11 o'clock with questions about the obituary. (laughs) It can be handled tomorrow. (laughs) It can be handled the next business day. We have a special holiday surprise for you guys at the end of the episode. We did a little bonus song for you. So hopefully you stick around and listen to it. It's really geeky. So (laughs) (laughs) we're really looking forward to singing for you. Yeah, we're really excited. Red actually wrote the whole thing. So we're going to give you a little song. So stay tuned and enjoy. But that's all for this week on Mort Mike. We'd love to connect with you guys on our socials. So like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. That's at Mort Mike Podcast. M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback, so please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. 
I also want to give a huge thank you to our friend Markson for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out his Bandcamp at Marson, that's M-A-R-S-O-N, music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marson. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for more casual discussions on death. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Happy holidays. I hope so. Yes. I'm probably gonna sing at the wrong time, but yeah, we'll probably have to do it a couple times. Okay, let's just get it over. Okay, with. let's just do it. Ready, steady, go. On the twelfth day of death, Miss <laughs> My Funeral Home gave to me twelve hour days, eleven home removals, ten latex gloves, nine death certificates, eight direct cremations, seven visitations, six phone lines ringing. <laughs> Five AV plugs. Six anal vaginal plugs. Four Cadillac hearses. Three foreign shipouts. Two embalming tanks. And, and a very decomposed body. body. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> Happy holidays, everybody. Take the five golden rings part really slow. Okay. Five AV plugs. Do okay. you know what AV plugs are, Sierra? Uh, you can take on the butt. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Called anal vaginal plugs. I was thinking all-wheel vehicle. What? <laughs> AV. Like AV. That's ATV. <laughs> you still yeah, came to the conclusion vehicle. that they go in the butt? Yep. Okay. Ready? Yeah.